This is Unclaimed Bands, show 210. Hey music listeners, this is Sean from Unclaimed Bands. Uh, tonight we're coming to you from Milk Boy in the depths of their green room, which is kind of cool, kind of laid back. Not everybody, not every place has a green room. Uh, definitely a new experience for us, but enough of that, okay? Our guest tonight is Lolo. Welcome. How Hi. are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm finally not sick anymore, so the- I am extra good today. Battling a cold or something else, or yeah, that Zika virus, with, or like a thank God, not the Zika virus. That thing God. is pretty fucking serious. Actually, yeah. it's really serious. I was reading about it this morning, and <laughs> it's kind of terrifying. Um, it, but no, I I was uh, I was like sick with like a bronchitis kind of thing. Oh wow! Uh, that I caught from my friend's three year old. And I feel like kids get like when they get sick, they get like more sick than any <laughs> than if you're like grown up sick. I don't know how to like, especially colds. Like they're they're always kind of snotty and coughing. I also love children, so this is not like coming from some place of um, yeah. You're not bashing the kids. You're no, just stating no, a fact. It's just a fact. Toddlers are carriers of lots of germs, <laughs> and I was around said three year old, and so I got like the epic bronchi- bronchial sickness that she was suffering from so to start the tour on like a an epic sickness this past saturday like i i literally couldn't speak i had no speaking voice wow so because i was so congested and all those disgusting things so i feel great today (laughs) i'm feeling myself again and i don't I've sounded like I was underwater for the last, like, five days. So it's a good feeling. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're doing a lot better. That's very good. Yeah, no. nobody nobody wants to be sick doing anything, especially, you know, when no. you're singing and everything else. It's less than ideal. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, just a little. Just a little. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. Before we go any further, why don't we let uh, let people out there listen to one of your songs? Great. Uh, what are we going to let them hear first? We're going to let them hear a song of mine from the Comeback Queen EP, which came out in July of this past year, 2015. Um, and this is a song called I Don't Want to Have to Lie. All right, let's take a listen to that.
All right, that was I Don't Want to Have to Lie. My guest is Lolo. Uh, tell me and tell everybody out there uh, about that song. Tell us something about it. Um, that song is definitely one of the most personal things I've ever decided to put out in the world. Um, you go through funny, hard things. Not necessarily ha-ha funny, but funny in that it makes you... When you come out the other side of difficult things, it makes you look at the world from a different place, mm-hmm. um, which I think is necessary for all of us to go through. But it's 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 all it also fucking sucks and it's hard, and um, and 2014 was one of those years where I had to go through a few things that were just like unfortunately hard, but they're also life, mm-hmm. and um, and. I don't always do this with things that are hard that I go through, but I, for me, the most cathartic thing that I could do was just put it into music and find my therapy through that. So I don't want to have to lie is, is representative of not hiding from my feelings. It's kind of like a little reminder song to myself and a little tribute to my own brain to be like, don't forget that you don't have to lie to yourself about the way that you feel. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like shit or if you feel really great, you can do all of those things and let that be what you need it to be, whatever those are. Being, being more honest with yeah. yourself. Yeah. And I feel like I, I try and do that in general, but I, I definitely think what I was doing in that time when it was when things were hard was I was trying to sort of act like I wasn't hurting or act like... I wasn't sad. And yeah, that, try yeah. and mask everything, and I and what I wound up realizing was that didn't help anything, and it made it worse. <laughs> and what I needed to do was just sort of honor the fact that maybe I just wasn't going to feel okay for a little while, and then eventually I would feel okay because time seems to fix everything one way or the other. True, very true. Whether we accept it in the beginning or not, and um, so yeah. That's what that song is about. <laughs> well, that's that's good. See, I, I like it when uh, you know when an artist. Uh, while I think it's very difficult sometimes for artists to write about something so personal. Yeah. At the same point, uh, I think it's a you know that's truly a universal thing. People have gone through things like that, and being able to express it mm. is going to help someone who I think who can't maybe express it themselves. It's give them that kind of kind of like that that mirror that they couldn't hold up to themselves, that's and your music can do true. that for them. So and you're definitely right. Music heals. Well, that's, yeah. that's cool. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about your beginning. I'm reading through your bio. <laughs> you pester your parents to mo- take you to L.A. Right. Okay. So let's take it back a step. How did you get to the point where you knew, like, yeah, this is what I want to do, and to go, like, all right, you know, I mean, because it's not like, yeah, mom, mom, I want, I want a new bike. I mean, like, I want to get up and move yeah, no, and it wasn't, do this. <laughs> it wasn't a simple request. I think I think my parents would have, you know, given anything for it to have been a bike. <laughs> um, honestly, considering um, considering the roller coaster, no, you know, in a nutshell, what happened was I, for some reasons, explained because I came. My parents didn't play instruments, but I came from a very musical family. In that, we just loved music. We were always listening to music. Um, and all kinds of music. So music was always around. Um, and I started playing the piano when I was six. I started piano lessons when I was six. I started singing in a little, like, church choir thing when I was a little kid. And and I had a cousin who is 
um, she's still alive. I have a cousin who is like five years older than me. She was always singing as well. So, and I, she, I, she was my idol, right? Uh, as a little kid and we're still very close and she just watching her be so involved in music. I was so drawn to that mm-hmm. and had such a desire to express creatively myself through music any way I could, whether I was playing the piano, something I knew or something I was hearing in my head. And I started composing piano pieces when I was young. I was like nine, ten years old. And I was very lucky that I had a piano teacher who... I was basically like, I don't want to learn these classical pieces. I, I'm like writing these things and I need some help and I don't understand quite what I'm doing, but I'm playing these things. And and she was super helpful and very encouraging of mm-hmm. that and not squashing that, which was really yeah stimulating to my young mind in the right way of like, Oh, keep going down this path and don't shut it off. Which I do, unfortunately, think can happen sometimes. I think, like, everyone is born with a very innate sense to create. And I think sometimes if you don't wind up in the right environment from a very young age to be regularly expressing that or around people who can help figure out what that means for you. Yeah, yeah. It can wind up getting lost in translation and then... As you get older, you you don't necessarily oh. grow out of it, but it becomes harder to kind of get back in. Oh, I think I think it absolutely can be crushed too. I mean, yeah. there are so many people that are so willing to criticize yeah. an artist, uh, no matter who they are mm. or what experience they have, and you never get anything out of criticizing them. I mean, not not constructive criticism, mm. but you know, but a, a little bit of encouragement can go so much further. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a sad sad tale that I think, especially a lot of people that teach. In all yeah. different things, really shouldn't be teaching. Is you just hand the book out and say read it because if I say Try anything this. else, right. it's going to be horrible. I'm going to kill your, you know, whatever. But uh, you know, they'll still get a paycheck. I mean, I, I also think I I think you know the the thing is too that that is hard, especially if you're young and you're starting to create and you have ideas. I mean, no matter how old you are, if you're creating something, you're vulnerable. Mm. If you let anyone hear it, because it. Ultimately, even if you may not be writing about something super personal, it still comes from a place within you. It's still yeah. yours. It's still a part of you coming out. So, of course, you're going to be very sensitive to it. And, and I think, as you're saying about the criticism angle, if you're not properly encouraged at a young young age um, to sort of pursue what can be recognized as a, as a genuine creative sense, I, I think it can easily die and I think it happens more regularly than the opposite. But I was very fortunate that I didn't yeah. have that. And I had parents who were like, she just clearly has this desire to play music and sing music. Um, and so that's what I did. That's what I spent my time doing. Um, I grew up doing regional theater, too. I grew up in Tennessee in a little town called Jackson, um, which is in between Memphis and Nashville. And I grew up doing some regional theater in Nashville. And I was homeschooled for a large majority of my life. Because um, I was sort of working and whatnot from the time I was young. Um, and I lived close to Nashville. And we had some um, family friends who were songwriters or friends of people who were in that world in Nashville. Yeah. And so I used to get to go up to Nashville when I was between like 11 and 15 and kind of go sit in the room and be a fly on the wall to these writers and watch what they did and sometimes write with them and and so that I could have a real knowledge of what what that was. That's great, great training. songwriting was. Mm -hmm. Because it's one of those things where 
in theory, anyone can do it. But also, songwriting is a career. It can mm-hmm. be oh, yeah. for people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It can be a career. It can be a job. It's a great job. It's my job now, which is amazing. <laughs> but but, um, but it can be a job. But if you don't really have a good understanding of what that is, it can be really confusing. Mm-hmm. So it was. I was very fortunate that I could get a glimpse of what that was very early. And what wound up happening with my parents being uh, willing to move me to L.A. was simply that I was relentless, um, not just with them, but with my creativity and what I was doing and my hunger and my desire. And so when I was 15, I was basically like, I don't want to be in Nashville. Not because I didn't like Nashville, but I didn't personally want to play country music. And Nashville was a very different place 13 years ago. Um, Jack White was not there making records. And it was very, it was solely focused on country music um, as a place of if you were going to start a career. Okay. And I was always more alternative soul influenced. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to move to New York because it was too cold. (laughs) So that was out. And L.A. was like this beautiful, warm place. I I had been there once when I was a kid. And and I just remember it being warm and sunny and beautiful. And I was like, I really want to move there and try this singer-songwriter thing. And they said, okay, well, you can. But we'll talk about it if you do this, this, and this to show us that you're devoted and you're going to work and you're going to do and, uh, yeah, and you'll focus and, and then I did it and a year later you know we sort of reconvened and they were like oh shit what do we do now <laughs> we told her to do all this stuff and then she did so you go to LA and how long were you in LA before well we'll get about before you went back to New York or went to New York but yeah. how long were you in LA and, and what just, did you do there just two years just two years in LA it was two years um, it was an interesting two years of trying it was very serious culture shock. Um, I bet. I wound up becoming friends with all of these um, kids who were on TV and had like millions of dollars. And I was just like, you know, little like middle class southern girl thrust into young teenage Hollywood. Suddenly you're in the middle of 90210 and... Uh, in, kind of sort yeah. of, kind of well, sort of thing. Well, pretty much, yeah. It was yeah. very odd. Like, I, I like didn't know what like Chanel was before I moved to Los. Like, fancy things. Like, not because we didn't. I, yeah, it just you were wasn't you weren't living radar. out of a trailer. It just was you. Yeah, you were. I mean, were I didn't have to want thing. for anything, and we had really nice stuff and whatever. But like, when we're just not. Uh, I just had never really been thrust yeah. into this world of like fashion and labels and couture i was i didn't even you know where i it was just and also i spent my time either dancing ballet or playing music i didn't give a fuck about anything else so there were very few things on my radar Mm -hmm. um there are like a lot of epic like i've never seen the godfather because Mm -hmm. like there are just things that are not on my radar (laughs) like i'll get there there are other things i'm doing and i was always like that so moving there was strange culture shock that I was just like, whoa, there are just so many other things around. Um, and that was interesting. While I was there, I was in a reggae band. I played keys uh, and sang backup in a reggae band. And that was interesting. I was underage the whole time. Everyone else was above the age of 21. So I'd get two black X marks on my hands <laughs> so I could go in, walk yeah. in, play 10 songs, and then leave. Leave. 
Um, <laughs> and that was funny and interesting. Um, but it was short and sweet. It was a great two years. I I got an agent while I was there, so I could try and now, maybe now, book a commercial and make some money. How did that lead to you being <laughs> going to New York and being on well, Broadway, right? Yes. Yeah. How did that? How did you land in Broadway after that? I mean, you're all the way in LA, and you know they say if you want to do Broadway, you got to go to New York. But that's true. I I am like I did the very reverse. I I'm I'm definitely not the first. Yeah. There are not many of me that have done that. Basically, what happened was um, the show that I did is called Spring Awakening. They just actually finished doing a revival um, this past season. It closed about two weeks ago. Um, but Spring Awakening was a brainchild creation between Duncan Sheik, who is a sort of alt rock. Yep, dude, I know who he is. Wonder yep. Child. Uh, writer Steven Sater and director Michael Mayer mm -hmm. and they had this great idea to take a very old German play and turn it into this what what then became Spring Awakening alt-rock musical experience and in so doing because they the cast is all young people except for two adults but every the rest of the cast is all young people between the roughly between the ages of 15 and 22 mm -hmm. 23 young cast of young young cast yeah. um, and so they did a wide a very wide search they cast out a very wide net they went to like seven or eight major US cities including LA obviously and sure. I auditioned there I went on an audition I didn't hear anything for a couple of months and then I got a phone call while I was home for Thanksgiving in Tennessee with my family and they were like would you be willing to come to New York for a final audition? And I was like, hell yeah. And at the time, the contract was for the off-Broadway production at the Atlantic Theater Company, which is an amazing company in uh, based in Chelsea in mm -hmm. uh, New York City. Um, and so the contract was six months. I really loved the piece. And I thought, yes, I would love to move to New York for six months and do this show off-Broadway. And it's really cool people. And I had been a Duncan Sheik fan since I was young. And and so it was all gravy, and then the show became a, an enormous success, and just moved it over to transferred Broadway, then, right? to Broadway in two months. And wow, it was a whirlwind. Like the timeline of that show goes: like we opened off Broadway June of two thousand six, we opened on Broadway December of two thousand and six, June of two thousand and seven, we won eight. Tony Awards. We were nominated for 11. We won eight. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. Because also, like, we were, it was, we were all, like, these obscure young actors. We had no idea what was going on or <laughs> what to expect or what to make of the success. Um, it was also an interesting time to, like, be sort of coming up in the world because now, like, MySpace was still a thing. Yeah. So, Twitter didn't even exist when I was doing that, when we all first started doing that show. Mm -hmm. So the social, imme social media awareness aspect of how much the game has changed mm -hmm. from all aspects, whether you're an actor or a singer or a musician, a writer, whatever you're doing, it's interesting to think back on that time and just how different, just from all aspects, things like that have changed. Like social media has changed oh, yeah, the yeah. world we live in. It's crazy. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, the way that you can reach people now and connect with totally. people. Totally. Yeah, so completely different. different than anybody's ever wanted to. Um, 
Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we take a pause and have uh, let people listen to another song? Okay. What are we going to let them hear this time? We're going to listen to another song from the Comeback Queen EP. It's called Not Gonna Let You Walk Away. All right. So good about answering Why am I always high when you show up? Sometimes your lover can be a friend But sometimes lovers need to start again Maybe I need to start giving up If you wanna keep the diamonds that you bought me You can have around every problem we gave hospitality to the pain just be man enough to say you Right, that is not going to let you walk away. Guest again is Lolo. Uh, quick question before we go any further. Now that people have listened to it, okay, because I know you guys are waiting for this. Mm. What's the best place for people to reach you and find out what's going on and where you're at? Cool. Um, I'm on all of the, speaking of social media. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm on all of the social things because apparently that's what we all do now. Um, <laughs> we bury our faces in our phones. Um, everything is at lolo music lolo music on twitter and instagram and uh the website is www.lolomusic.com so it's relatively easy to remember mm-hmm. there's also links to all those fun things i do things like periscope which i'm very new to but i i th- really enjoy because I basically just turn it on and I act like a jackass for <laughs> however long I feel like and then I turn it off. Snapchat is pretty much the same, but it's all Lolo. L-O-L-O. All right, cool. And uh, we haven't put out any physical copies of the EP yet, but everything's on iTunes. 
Yep, or solid Spotify, on iTunes. whichever is your medium of. Yeah, whichever you're more comfortable mm-hmm. with. If you don't want to go take a bite out of the apple, you go to Spotify. That's people. right. That's right. So but ne- I will not, not accept your five ninety nine. If you know what I'm saying. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so listen, people. Now that you, you know, when the interview's done, you're probably on a computer or on your smartphone. <laughs> just go on over and check out the sites. You got the address. Find out where Lola's going to be at. And then make sure you go see her if she's going to be in your town. Yeah, Virginia, we're talking to you. She's coming there next. Okay? Uh, because that's really the best way to, to see anybody and support an artist is come yeah. out and see them. Come out and meet them. Okay? You can already yeah. tell that she's very nice. <laughs> okay? I don't bite sometimes. <laughs> well, maybe if you're lucky. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you've obviously had a, a, a lot and you have the, you know, as far as... After after Broadway, you ended up in the UK, yep. signed to a record deal. You're back now in the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, you've you've released your EP over the summer. Um, but are you working on any new music? Because I'm a greedy guy, I like having new music. I am. It's exciting. Um, I'm at a very happy home now. Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy is the head of my label, DCD2. Okay. So, which is sort of uh, the label he started several years ago when he found a little band called Panic at the Disco. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a small band. Just a small band. Um, uh, They started a label called Decadence. And so they've um, decided to branch out and add uh, some alternate options that maybe you wouldn't normally think to hear on Decadence, Mm -hmm. like me. Uh, and it's called DCD2 now, and it's my happy home, and we put the Comeback Queen EP out with them in July of last year. And we are working on new music. I actually was in L.A. um, two weeks ago where I caught my lovely sickness from (laughs) that sweet little three-year-old Josephine, who I love dearly. Um, And out there working on new music, I'm really excited about it. And we're actually playing... Um, five new songs in the live show that we're doing right now, which is amazing. So we're sort of um, pretty... The writing is done, and we're just getting the production side of things finalized for the album. So it's going to be a full album? It or? will be a full okay, album. Good, I'm good. really excited about it. Um, it's been a minute since I've put out a full album, but it's been... It's been a good process to be able to take my time and work on it and be, sure. be ready to put, put something out into the world and and um, feel like you're putting your best foot forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we're sort of tenta- tentatively aiming for the end of summer, but we'll have a single out by the time we go down and do South by Southwest this year in March. So, um, yeah, new music will be surfacing Roughly in about a month. <laughs> oh, 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 in about okay, that soon in about yeah. a month. Wow. All yeah. right, all right. Well, yeah, people, very excited. We gave you the websites earlier and the other pl- places. Make sure you go check there and sign up. Keep oh, up yeah. to date and find out when the new music drops because that's really, uh, really, you know, what that for? That's yeah. what the social media is for. Being social. Yeah. So, um, here's just something right off the cuff. What What's the first record you remember buying? Um, the first record CD taste yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, the first tape I ever bought with my own money, I was eight. Okay. And uh, my favorite song in the world was "Stay" by Lisa Loeb. Okay. And the first tape I ever bought with my own money was Lisa Loeb and the Nine Tails, which I actually ironically think Duncan might have played on, and I didn't <laughs> find that out until like, you know, when you're older and you start looking at like. Yeah, looking at everything album. outside of whoever's singing. Yeah. Look, you actually look through the book and you're like, oh, look. 
Um, and then the first CD I ever bought with my own money was TLC Crazy Sexy Cool Waterfalls. Like, that was the, the greatest song ever to me when I was a kid. Um, and I loved that album. Um, but the first song I ever learned and the first album that I remember, like, being really drawn to, my dad is a huge fan of Steely Dan. And Steely the Dan. album Asia, which is one of my favorite albums of all time, and the song Black Cow. Love that song, and that was like one of the first songs I ever really learned the words uh, to. That song and "Black and White" by Michael Jackson. That was like that was pretty it, right? much my childhood. <laughs> That's cool. To, yeah, That's to like cool. like definitely till I got anywhere near double digits. Those were like, and I was gonna marry Brian Adams when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> and everything I do, I do it for you. <laughs> yeah, that was another big tune in my life. Brian, you got you have a fan out there. Maybe you need someone to you know opening act something like that. Up, Brian, I so I I did a benefit concert in the UK Uh-oh. in 2010. Right after I put out a record in 2010 um, under my given name, which is Lauren Pritchard, uh, called Wasted in Jackson. I put that out for Island Records in the UK in 2010, and. Um, and I did a benefit. It was an ama- I'm a patron of a charity over there. It's called Body and Soul. It's an HIV charity in the UK. Oh, nice! An incredible charity. And so I, when I'm there, I still try and go do stuff for them. They, but they've done this. They have an amazing venue in the UK in, in London called the Roundhouse. It's in the round. It's about 3,500 people. They can squeeze in there, and they did this epic charity concert first annual, and I was one of the performers. There's me, and. Uh, the band shame on me and annie lennox and melanie c from the spice girls and mel c had a massive song in the uk which featured brian adams yeah like in the early 2000s and so he came and he sang the song with her and the spice girls are still to this day one of my all-time favorite bands and like massive influence on me from the time i was a young girl and i sporty spice was my shit so meeting Melanie C. Yeah. And meeting Brian Adams in the same night. And I actually thought, like, is this the moment I'm going to die? <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and that totally happened. It was in, um, it was like the first week of November in 2010. And they were so nice. And, um, like, I, I have, like, hung out with Melanie C. a few times s- since then. And I got to meet, like these three people Annie Lennox and Mel C and Brian Adams like Brian Adams who like literally at four years old I would walk to I would walk up to anyone on the street and be like I'm gonna marry Brian Adams <laughs> and I would just start singing everything I do I do it for you like <laughs> my parents were like worried because they were like I don't know what other people are interpreting your four year old marriage to Brian Adams as and I was also like I didn't give I didn't care I would talk to anyone my mom was like I was convinced you were going to be kidnapped because oh I'd be God. like hi hi I would just walk around talking to everyone and anyone about my marriage to Brian Adams as a toddler see I think if I was, was your illogical I think if I was your parents I'd be like well he did pay a dowry she's just waiting till she's 18 then he takes her off our hands. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank God. Well, I'm sure he's lovely, but in my mind, I don't know. It was unreasonable. Whatever yeah, well, it was, yeah. it was unreasonable. Yeah. Harmless, yet unreasonable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Unreasonable. I, you know, I, I, would, I would say, well, look, at least she doesn't want to marry the mailman. She wants to marry her. I had high right? hopes. Yeah. Damn it. 
Yeah. I wanted that Robin Hood song in my life. It was my destiny. I don't know. It was ridiculous. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, well listen, uh, before we wrap everything up, I want to thank you first for taking time to do this. I really appreciate it. I know you're very thank busy you. on this tour. Uh, but is there anything you want to say to your fans out there? Um, I think that what I'd like to say is hello and thanks for listening. Uh to me but also in general I mean it's a lot for people to take the time and really listen to what we have to say as artists and writers and um, for those of us who spend our time creating to have fans out there who listen to us it's it's a really wonderful feeling to be heard and to feel heard Um, and whether that's on a small scale or a large scale yeah that's a great feeling, especially when you're sort of pouring your feelings and your thoughts into what you're doing. So thank you for listening. And live music is the shit. So, and don't forget. <laughs> so when you can see it, maximize that experience. Absolutely. Uh, well, everybody, my guest has been Lolo. Uh, I'm Sean from Unclaimed Bands. Make sure you tune back in for more uh, great music and great artists like Lolo. And go out and see her, okay? Make sure you go out and see her. That's the best thing to do. Until next time, everybody. The statements, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals and in no way reflect the views of the unclaimed bands, its parent company, or subsidiaries.